I definitely have respect for what Nikki and Natasha do every Sunday. Amen. Amen. They make it look easy. So praise God. So like I said, we do what we do, what we can do. But praise God for the gifts and the talents that are in this house. And that he has a Nikki and a Natasha who could do this every Sunday. So that every now and then, if we need to fit in, we could and we can, praise God. But thank God he has them to hold it down. Amen. And I was just thinking about how God has given them uh, that ability, amen, to, to do it. And it, it looks like they do it without effort. But we know that it takes time, it takes practice, it takes them uh, uh, the practice that they have to put into to hone their skills and hone their crafts, amen. Um, and then after a while, uh, especially as we get older, or as I get older, I speak from my own perspective, I know as I get older, there are things that I could do easily years ago that I can't do like I used to do. Yes. Amen. But Amen. just thinking about ability and being able, the one thing that we can rest in knowing is that the God that we serve, he's always able. Amen. Amen. That time may continue to go on and time may fade, but he still continues to be able. And we're going to look at that in our passage of scripture here on this morning. Very familiar passage. Uh, we'll look at Ephesians, the third chapter. And for clarity, we'll read from verses 14 through 21, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 for clarity. Uh, but our key verses that we're going to focus on this morning is going to come from verses 20 and 21, amen? But for the sake of clarity, uh, we'll read starting at verse number 14, and it reads as follows. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 And if we just take for, if I may take for a topic uh, on this afternoon, God is able. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Precious and all wise God, we just give your name all the praise. All the glory and all the honor. We're just so grateful, Lord, for this time that you have brought us together. Lord, I am thankful for family here on this afternoon. From the youngest to the oldest, Lord, I'm thankful, Lord.
And I'm thankful, Lord, for what you all that you have already done and even now what you continue to do. So, Lord, I pray that you help me to decrease and that you would increase, Lord. And that as I speak, Lord, as I speak not my thoughts, my opinions, or my desires, but let your word shine through. Let your truth be magnified. Let the word of God be declared. We pray, precious Lord, that you will have your way and that you will receive all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll read it out here one more time our key verses, Ephesians 3, verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So when we uh, look at this particular letter, uh, it was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul was imprisoned in Rome uh, when he wrote this letter. And when we look at who he was writing to, we see that he was writing to the church at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was a Grecian city. It was a city of Greece, but it was a part of the Roman Empire. And it was a city that was a major port of trade and business. So it was, had a lot going on, similar to what we see here in the DC uh, metropolitan area. Um, being that it was a part of the Grecian, it was a Grecian city, there was a huge influence of Greek mythology. And a lot of people that, uh, that followed the, the Greek gods, their lives were based upon uh, the different gods that they uh, celebrated and served. So um, there was a lot of idol worship. There was a lot of looking for pleasure, uh, seeking their own self-pleasure. Uh, there was a lot of uh, looking for self-gain. Uh, we see all of these things that were going on uh, in the city of Ephesus. Uh, but one thing that's in, incredible, and if we look back uh, in Acts chapter 19, when Paul stepped on the scene in Ephesus, we see that when he came uh, preaching the gospel, uh, he caused a commotion. Um, Acts chapter 19 tells us Paul stepped on the scene in Ephesus, and the very first thing he ran upon was some disciples of, of John who knew of the, the baptism of John but didn't know about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So he comes and he prays, and next thing you know, these brothers, you know, they, 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 they receive Jesus Christ fully. They receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then Paul didn't stop there. He went into a synagogue and he started preaching Jesus to the Jews. And they said, we don't want to hear this, you know. So next thing you know, he's, he says, okay, I'll go among the Greeks at the Hall of Tyrannus. And he's preaching Jesus to them. And same deal, most of them didn't want to hear it. But praise God that there were some that heard the gospel message. Mm. And that the church of Jesus Christ started to grow in this city of, of, of hedonism, in this city of, idol, of idolatry, mm. the gospel message was spreading. And next thing you know, there were miracles that were being performed. 
They said that, that, that the sick were being healed, that demons were being cast out, and, and the power of God was moving in such a way to God's glory that, that, that Paul didn't even have to go and lay hands. Mm. That, that very items that he had touched, uh, aprons and handkerchiefs and other items, that, that they could just take those items that he had touched and that those items were, were healing those and casting out demons. Not that the power was in the items, but it was showing that the power was truly in God through Amen. Jesus Christ. We see in Acts chapter 19, one of the, 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 the funny lessons uh, that we kind of quote and we look at with the seven sons of Sceva. Mm. And they saw what Paul was doing. They said, okay, they, there's, there's, there's something about this name Jesus. And they had fully accepted Jesus Christ. They just saw what Paul was doing and said, well, we'll go out and imitate. And next thing you know, they tried to cast out a demon. And, well, you know the story. Go read the story, Acts chapter 19. You, you'll see what happened to these, to these dudes. But we see that Paul was, was doing the work of the Lord. So much so that, like I said, he, uh, he started a riot. Uh, there was, Paul was preaching the gospel. He was preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is God, and that there were some, uh, uh, a brother named Demetrius who, was a, 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 who made items for Greek gods, uh, particularly the, 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 goddess, the god Artemis, mm. and he was costing them money. Mm. Because people were turning away from idols and the things of idols and turning to Jesus Christ and said, no, we got to get this dude out of here. So there was a whole lot of stuff that was going on in this chapter alone. But the important thing to take away is that the power of God moved through Paul in such a way that in this city of corruption, a church was birthed. So to this church... We find Paul, he's writing this letter from a Roman prison, and he's teaching very important aspects of Christian doctrine. And not just Christian doctrine, but how we as believers should apply that doctrine to our life. When we're looking at the first three chapters, we see how Paul lays out a beautiful foundation of the Christian faith. All right. He gives a quote-unquote history lesson of the gospel mm. and its purpose and mankind. He makes it especially personal with the readers of the letter, how they were deemed unworthy. They were deemed unclean. They were looked at as castaways because of their Gentile heritage. But now because of Christ's sacrifice and the preaching of the gospel to them, and they're receiving the gospel, they are now a part of the church, Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Those who were once idol worshipers, those who lusted after their flesh, those who looked to their own desires, who were hopeless in their own condition, they now have been blessed with the glorious gift of God to be saved by grace through faith, saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They were dead in the trespasses of their sin, but now they are alive with Christ. And we thank God that we can relate to that because we once were dead in the trespasses of our sin, but now we, the church, are alive with Jesus Christ. So when we come to chapter 3, Paul gives a reminder to the Gentiles who they are in Christ. He says, uh, like a good father figure, he says that 
he comes to reassure the brothers and sisters of who they are in Christ. Uh, you see, one of the things that we see in society and we hear about often is trauma through blended family relationships or trauma from adopted children uh, to their adoptive parents. We see and hear about it oftentimes as not uh, acceptance of, the, of that one or those who are different. Uh, those who are not quote unquote true blood are treated differently and sometimes are treated, uh, treated in horrible conditions. How the differences are looked down upon rather than being embraced and accepted. But Paul here in chapter three reassures his reader that there is no distinction between the Jewish believer and the Gentile believer. Amen. For both are a part of the church. They don't have to go through any steps or challenges to prove that they're just as Christian as the Jewish believer. Uh, 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 they don't have to uh, go through different uh, rituals to say that uh, uh, now I'm just as Christian as you are. But through faith in Jesus Christ, they're one in the, they are a part of the same body. And I praise God for that because for me, I say, hey, my past doesn't disqualify me. Mm. Your heritage doesn't discredit you. Mm. And the way you look or where you're from doesn't diminish you because we are all one in Jesus Christ. Amen. He then encourages them not to be discouraged because of the trials that they see him going through. You see, one can imagine that after they had seen and heard of what Paul alone had gone through, they would have walked away. Mm. In Ephesus alone, we see the devout Jews didn't want him in the synagogue. We see the followers of Artemis didn't want him uh, in the hall of Tyrannus. And there were riots and backlash, all because of the gospel message that Paul was preaching. And then no doubt they heard of the drama that followed Paul before he came to Ephesus. And then after he came, uh, and then after he left Ephesus, and now he, here he is, he's writing them this letter from a prison. Mm. prison. In prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no doubt there may have been some whispers or thoughts and say, hey, is, is this truly all worth it? And no doubt many of us in our Christian walk, in our time as a believer, we've been through our own very trials and our very own trials and our very own tribulations. And sometimes we're wondering, Lord, Lord, is, is, is this truly what it means to be a Christian? Is this, is this what, is, is there, is there going to be any hope? Is there going to be any, anything for me that I could grab a hold on, that I can grab hold to for hope or, and, and, and look to for a door to be open for, for, or for the clouds to disappear and see the sun? And surely the word of God will teach us that there is hope. You see, when we look down and further, we see Paul doing just that. He's offering a prayer of hope and encouragement for that Gentile believer. We read in verses 14 through 19 that he prayed for them that they would receive their acceptance in Jesus Christ. And not just that they will receive their acceptance, but that they would grow in strength and grow in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that he prayed that they would understand and know how deep the love of God transcends in their lives. Mm. That whoever you are, whatever you've been going through and whatever you're going through right now, that there is nothing greater than receiving the love of Christ. Amen. 
Romans 8, 35 and 39 reminds us that who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. So if there's one important thing for us to recognize through Paul's prayer for uh, the church at Ephesus is that God loves us. And we need to be assured that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we've done, that, that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, that he has love, true love, transcendent love for his body. And when he concludes that prayer, he offers a short praise to them in the form of the doxology, which we read in verses 20 and 21. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, in our study in 1 Timothy, in our Bible study, we looked at how when we see doxologies in Scripture, they expose to the reader key attributes regarding who God is. They inform us on characteristics about his nature. They inform us about attributes of who God is, attributes that are absolute and unchanging. You see, oftentimes our summation on things are based upon what we see, what we hear, and what we've been exposed to. Come on now. So basically, it's easy for us to believe the things that we witness with our own eyes, hear with our own ears, or conceive in our own minds. But when we see these doxologies, we need to come to the point and recognize that they're not subjective. Mm. It means that God is who he is. Amen. And our human assumptions or natural suppositions will never change that. We see in Exodus 3 and 14 when God said to Moses, I am who I am. Mm. So when we see writers of the New Testament at a doxology, it's not there randomly, but as the Holy Spirit inspires, we see how Paul and others strategically place these praises at points in their writings to reaffirm and remind the reader they serve an awesome God. Come on, bro. They serve a God who is worthy to be praised. Mm. That at the end of the day, this salvation walk that we're going through, it's really not about us, but it's all for God's glory. Amen. And we see this in this doxology here in verses 20 and 21. Mm. So when we come to this passage of scripture, the first word that sticks out is the word now. Mm. We see uh, when we think of the word now, it's an adverb, meaning at this present time. So in other words, Paul is teaching and telling the reader and reaffirming to the reader and he is sharing with the reader that the benefits and the love that they receive from God, or he has shared with the reader previously the benefits and love that they received from God, but now he wants them to turn away from themselves and put their focus on the true and holy God. You see, it's not about us. It's not even really about us. But it's all about someone greater. The one, as Ric Flair would say, the one who is causing all this. Which takes us to the who of our key verse. God. 
when we think about who is God, I remember about this time last year, our brother Rick, he preached a sermon telling, about, telling us about who God is. He went into a deep dive, scripture in scripture and verse by verse about who God is. So, so I don't have time to go through all of what Rick went through last year. So, so if you really want to know who God is, I, I, I recommend that you pull up the, pull up the, uh, the podcast, pull it up on, on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever, wherever else the podcast may be. But one of the things that we look at when we read our scripture to find out who God is, Genesis 1 and 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God is a creator. John 4 and 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit. He's not a man. Which takes us to Numbers 23 and 19, which is, God is not man, that he should lie, or son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and he would not do it? Or has he spoken, and he would not fulfill it? So God is unchanging, and God is a promise keeper. 1 John 4 and 8 says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So God is what? God is love. Revelations 22 and 13 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God is timeless. God is forever. 1 Corinthians 8 and 6 says, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, one Lord in Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. So God is Father of all. Deuteronomy 32 and 4 says, The rock, the work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness, a God without iniquity, just and upright is he. So the God that we serve is perfect, faithful, and righteous. And if you were here on last week, you heard when Pastor Josh preached from Psalm 46 and verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. So God is a helper. He's a refuge when we're going through. So all of these tell us that who God is. But one thing we need to also recognize when we read this passage of Scripture is, what is it? that this who God is able to do. All right. And this passage of scripture just makes it plainly, the what is, is that he is able to do far more abundantly, uh, more than what we ask or think. Mm. And I mentioned earlier that when we go through life, we, we come across different people with different skills and abilities. Uh, uh, we go through school and training to learn to hone and master our abilities. We have jobs and careers based on the things that we've, that we've mastered and those things that we've perfected in our lives. And we see that uh, there are many things that some of us are able to do, like singing, that others are not. Well. <laughs> but there are limits and boundaries to our abilities. Mm. As I said earlier, there were things that I was able to do 5, 10, 15 years ago and do them well that now I struggle to do with any same uh, area of proficiency. I mean, look at uh, uh, in the sports arena. We see basketball players that when, they, when, they, when they're young, they're able to score 30, 40 points, leap with, you know, have incredible jumping ability and make it do, uh, score with such ease. And then as father time creeps up, they can't jump like they used to. They can't score like they used to. 
And Lord knows that sometimes that, that move that they used to be able to do to shake an opponent, they knock themselves out the game. But unlike us, the God that we serve is able. His ability doesn't waver or diminish with time. But his ability is consistent. As Paul declares in this verse, he is able. It means he was able, has always been able, is able now, and will continue to be and always will be able. He is immutable. He is unchanging. Hebrews 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we see that he is able and that there is no changing in his ability, what are some things that God is able to do? All right. Romans 16 and 25 says that uh, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. So he's able to give strength. Second mm. Corinthians 9 and 8 says that he is able to make all grace abound to you. So he is able to give us grace and to, and to make us abound in life. Jude 1 and 24 says that he is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So God is able to keep us upright and make us acceptable in his sight. Hebrews 7 and 25 says he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So he is able to save us from our sins and wash us clean from our transgressions. And then Daniel 3 and 17 says our God who we serve is able to deliver us from a burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand. So the God that we serve is able to deliver us from our times of trouble. So then when we recognize that what the things that we are, that he is able to do, we see also in this verse that he is able to do it far more abundantly. Mm. And so when we look at some of the things that he's abundantly able to do, John 10 and 10 says that he gives life and he, so that we can have it and have it more abundantly. Matthew 6 and 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. James 1 and 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of life. And then 1 Timothy 1 and 14 says, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So in other words, he's able to do it in abundance. Mm. So the God that we serve is an all-sufficient God. Amen. He is El Shaddai, mm. the God who is more than enough. Mm. He is able to do abundantly. So that the very things that we think is enough, God in his infinite power and his infinite wisdom and his infinite strength, he goes so far beyond what we can even think is great or good. So then that makes us, that brings us to the, the point is that what is he abundantly able to do in this verse? Paul says he's abundantly able to do more than we ask or think. 
You see, Paul had just prayed in Ephesus, in uh, uh, Ephesians uh, 18 and 19, chapter 3, 18 and 19, that they would have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So then this doxology, so now in this doxology, what he is doing, he's declaring that what I prayed that you would know, God is able to give that to you and much more. Isaiah 55 and 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So his, his thoughts and his ways are, 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 are so far beyond even what our natural minds can comprehend. We think something is big and something is wonderful, but God is able to do much more than what we can even conceive or ask or think. And when I think about that, it makes me think oftentimes about prayer and our prayer life. Because when we pray, it's a part of asking, it's a part of thinking. Uh, Lord, I need you to do this. And, you know, sometimes we want to put the, the, the cart before the horse. So we say, I'm asking this, so I think he's going to do it X, Y, and Z way. Mm. Uh, 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 and, and what Paul is doing, he's, he, early he prayed for the reader not to just have a form of a knowledge of about God, but he wanted them to have an intimate relationship with God. And part of our intimacy with God is developed through our prayers to God. And we see many times the things that we have prayed for, we, we were expecting God to do it X, Y, Z way or come from the left. And next thing you know, he's doing it a, a, a totally opposite way. He's coming from the right. And, and it, he sometimes just blows our natural minds in the way that he answers our prayers. And that's because when we look at this verse, Paul is declaring that the God that we serve, he's able to do greater than what we can even ask for or pray for. Mark 11 and 24 says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. 1 John 15, 14, and 1 John 5, 14 through 15 rather, says that in this confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Amen. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that the, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Because this is telling us that the God that we serve is a prayer answering God. That his love extends to us and not just, and it extends to us in answering us when we call according to his will. But see, one of the things that we often hear about in our, and when we, when we think about in prayer is we see there's so many different forms of prayer, right? We, we come to church and, and there are people that come and they can they could, they could, they could preach, uh, they could basically preach the King James in, in their prayers. And, and sometimes it could be a little intimidating, but we know that the God that we serve, that it's, it, it's not about the, the big words that we use, but it's the right. intent that we come to him in our prayer. So you can come and you can, you can preach the King James or you can just say, Lord, have mercy. But whatever, whatever way you come in, however you say it, as long as the intent of your heart is pure, then the Lord that we serve, he hears our prayers. And one thing that we look at in scripture is that we see that even when we pray to him and we're not sure how he's going to answer 
And like I said, sometimes he just blows our natural minds. When we look at 1 Kings chapter 3, we saw Solomon. He just prayed, talking to the Lord. He asked for wisdom. And God gave him much more than wisdom. But then we look at uh, 1 Chronicles 4 and, and verse 10. We see Jabez calling a, a simple prayer to the Lord. And God grants that request. So we see that the God that we serve, that he is a prayer answering God. Amen. And then when we recognize that, that who, who it is we serve God and, and what it is that he's able to do abundantly more than we ask or think, we got to think about how he is able to do it. And that brings us to the next part of our scripture, according to the power at work within us. See, the first thing we need to recognize is that when we think about power, and it ties in with our prayers, that we realize that the power is not in us. So that means the power is not in our big words, fancy words, or whatever we may think when we right. say our prayers, because the power is not ours. Rather, the power is all in God and God alone. Uh, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So God has power. I like it in Psalm 62 and 11. It says, God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. So the God that we serve has power. He's an omnipotent God. He has all power. And whatever the power the church has, it's not power that we have conceived of ourselves, but it is power that comes from the Lord. Ephesians 6 and 10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So we recognize that, yes, the God that we serve has power. But then it says the power that's at work in us. What power? Is that work in us? Paul had prayed earlier in chapter 1 of Ephesians that the reader would know what is the hope to which he has been called. What are the riches of his glory and inheritance towards the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working power of his great might? When we look through the Bible, and sometimes we even look at ourselves, we see and know that we as believers, his power is at work in us. Many times when we think about the power of God in our lives, we automatically want to jump to the power of the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, Acts 1 and 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's true. But when we look at the context of all of these verses that were proceeding in, in, in chapter, starting with chapter one and all the way to verse three, it's important to, uh, uh, chapter three, it's important for us to, to realize the reason we have power at work in us is because of the power of the gospel. Romans 1 and 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, yeah. to the Jew first, and, and then to the Greek. Ephesians 2 and 8, verse through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that one might boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This power of God that is working in us is the gospel. This power of God that is working in us has called us from death to life. This power of God that is in us through the gospel is what has made us alive in Christ. So when we ponder and think of the gospel message, it truly is an amazing message. And we should realize that in the gospel message, we see how God is able to do more abundantly than we could have ever asked or think. When you go back to Ephesians 1, it tell us of who we were before Christ, that we were sinful and wretched, and that we were in need of our Savior, that our disobedience and cravings, that uh, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life, that through these things we were deserving of wrath. We deserved punishment from a holy God, but God in his love, God love that surpasses all knowledge, made his way for us to be saved when we cannot save ourselves. This power of God showed us that there was no sacrifice that we could make or conceive in our own selves that will be worthy and absolute to satisfy the requirement of a holy God. So God, in only what, what only he could do, was, uh, and what only he could prove, showed how he was abundantly able because God the Father sent Jesus, God the Son, to be born of a virgin. Something bigger that we could even ask or think. Jesus Christ then abundantly able, but it showed when he walked on earth that he was both fully God and fully man, showing that he was greater than what we could ask or think. And then Jesus once again showed how he was abundantly able to be the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for the remission of our sins by taking on the judgment that we deserved and giving his life, dying on the cross, which was greater than we could ask or even think. And then we see once again God the Father showing that he is abundantly able to raise Jesus Christ from the dead with all power, conquering sin, conquering grave, once again greater than we could ask or think. And we see that this occurred thousands of years ago, but still now it is abundantly able to continue to save those who believe with saving faith that Jesus is Lord. If you turn away from your sins and turn to him, the one who is abundantly able to do greater than what we can ask or think. And then when we see what we have received in the gospel message and that that gospel not just brings us to salvation, but it keeps us through our salvation. And we find this in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 13. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So here we are now in this Christian life and we're, 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 we say, hey, we're saved, that's great. But now God is saying, I didn't just save you and just walk away from you. But now I've given you my spirit to keep you through your salvation. 
So when you're studying his word and you're looking for understanding in his word, he gives us his spirit to give us revelation and illumination in his word. So not that so that so that we can read his word with understanding and then take his word and apply it in our lives. So now that we have the who and we have the what, that brings us to the why. And that takes us to verse 21. It says, so to him be the glory. Psalms 29 and 1 says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Isaiah 42 and 8 says, I am the Lord that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So all of this is not for us so that we can boast in our own selves, our own power, and our own intellect, and our own ways. But all of this that God has done for us, and all of this that God continues to do, and how God continues to show that he is abundantly able to do greater than we ask or think, it is all for his glory, so that his name can be glorified, so that people will recognize that it is not through the power of man, that it is not through the intelligence of man, and it is not through the wisdom of man, but it is all through the power of God that we can truly be saved from this wretched world and when we when we look at uh, when we look at why he's able why he's able to do it for his glory that brings to where he's able to get the glory and that's through us the church because we the church we are the body of the temple of the Holy Spirit that we have received from God and Rick dropped a verse just on Wednesday to when we were here in prayer and it says first Corinthians 10 31 that whether you eat or drink whatever you do do it all to the glory of God our lives as believers, as the church of Jesus Christ, all that we do, we do it for the glory of God. And we do it so that someone would know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not so that they would know our name, not that they would recognize our ministry, not so that we can boast on what we do or what we have or, 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 or where we are or what titles we have. But all of these things that we do, we do it because we are members of one body and that one body is in Jesus Christ. We do all of these things so that the name of Jesus Christ will be declared. We do all of these things so that the gospel message will be declared. So when we say that we believe that the God that we serve is is able to do uh, abundantly able is, is abundantly able to do greater than we ask or think. We don't say it so that we boast in ourselves, but we do it because we're boasting on the God who has all power to do whatever He desires. The old church says that, that the God that we serve is able to do anything but fail. So we say recognize that the God that we serve, He is able to do what He wants to do, when He wants to do it, how He wants to do it, when He wants to do it, where He wants to do it, and He's able to do it with all power. And what he does, whatever he does, is perfect, just, and right. Because the God that we serve is perfect, just, and right. And when we recognize that he's able to do all of these things, that takes us to the wind. It says, throughout all generations, forever and ever. So God's not new at this. He's been at this before we were even conceived of. That from the beginning of time to the end of time and to even surpassing that forever and ever, God will continue to be glorified. God will continue to have all power. God will continue to be abundantly able. God will continue to show himself strong. God will continue to show that he is the one and true and only God that is worthy of, of glory, honor, and praise. Then that brings us to the conclusion. Amen. Amen. So be it. Amen. What God, what, what Paul prayed about God, about Jesus Christ, 
He said, so be it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I prayed for you that you would be strengthened. Amen. I prayed for you that you would not worry about what they're saying about you. Amen. Because the God that we serve, he's able. Amen. The God that we serve, he can do greater than what you ask or think. Amen. The God that we serve has all power and deserves all glory. Amen. amen. So when we put that amen, we recognize that we can trust in God and trust in his word. As I said before, we, when we all came a part of, of, of CHCC, we had no idea many of us would be going through what we're going through. But we serve a sovereign God amen. who's in total control who's able to do abundantly above we could ask or think. So keep on serving the Lord. Amen. And know and trust in him that no matter what you're going through, he's able. Amen. Amen. He's able to keep us from falling. Amen. He's able to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Amen. He's able to deliver. Amen. He's able to heal. Amen. He's able to strengthen. Amen. He's able to comfort. Amen. He's able to love you when you feel alone. Amen. He's able to lift you up when you feel that there's, that there's no hope. Amen. For he is the God of hope. Amen. He is the God of our salvation. Amen. He is the God of our strength. Amen. He is the God who is able to do far more abundantly above all we ask or think. So thank God we serve the true and living God. Where would we be if we had not God on our side? The world thinks they have it all together, but we know the truth that the God that we have he is what we need, and he is what the world needs. And I hope and prayer that as we, as a body, we go about doing what God has called us to do, that the love of Christ, that the word of Christ, that it will be shared, that someone would turn away from their sins and turn to Jesus Christ in saving faith and realize that he is really the author and finisher of our faith. Let's give God praise. Hallelujah. Precious Lord, we just give a name praise for you being abundantly able. That you are able to do abundantly more than we ask or think. And Lord, we pray that we remember that as we walk this life, that as we go through this Christian journey, that we don't take our focus off of you and put it on ourselves, that we don't take our focus off of you and put it on our problems, that we don't take our focus off of you and put it on our desires, but we keep the focus on you and recognize that we can truly trust in you in all things, that you are not the God that saved us and walked away, but you saved us and you stayed close that you're with us now, 
You're the friend that is closer than any brother. We give your name all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.